Good morning. Welcome to Real Time with IPELRA, a podcast dedicated to HR topics in local government. I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. Thanks for joining us. Today, we are so excited to have Melissa Sabota from Frantic Rattlet with us on the show. Before we get into our topic, I wanted to mention uh, an upcoming webinar we have with IPELRA. Dr. Adrian Coleman is hosting a, a webinar on diversity in the workplace August 21st from 10 to 12. If you haven't already registered, this is absolutely something you're going to want to register for. Sign up, include your employees. Um, participants will be increasing their own awareness of how not only unconscious bias impacts their customer outcomes, but also how a lack of awareness about concepts such as white privilege, fragility, systemic inequities, and a lack of cultural competency and cultural humility all combined to impact how organizations interact with clients and customers. It's an exciting time for IPELRO. We've got a couple other uh, topics we're going to talk about on the show. And, and in the coming weeks, we have attorney Mark Slavin, who will be discussing the impact on qualified immunity and if that should change, how that might affect municipal insurance. We also, in the age of um, cries for defunding the police, we will be having a chief of police here talking about how he has decided to hire a community engagement officer uh, to kind of address the issues of coming in contact with the public and creating a, a more uh, beneficial relationship. But today we have Melissa here. Good morning, Melissa. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? Wonderful. Wonderful. And this is an exciting time. You are here to tell us about an interest arbitration award you just received on behalf of the city of Chicago. So um, you heard it here for, first, folks. Tell us um, first what interest arbitration is and then what's the big award? So interest arbitration is for sworn units of police and fire um, throughout the state of Illinois since um, the traditional way to resolve disputes um, when you reach impasse in contract negotiations for most employees is that they have the right to strike. Well, you don't want your police and firefighters going on strike. So um, when you reach impasse, they have the right to go to interest arbitration where an arbitrator will determine the terms of a collective bargaining agreement uh, that the parties are at impasse on. So the award that the city received was for the um, supervisors units, um, which are the sergeants, lieutenants, and captains. They're all represented by the policemen's benevolent um, uh, sorry, Benevolent and Protective Association of Illinois, or PBPA. Um, the, all the members of uh, the police department that are below the rank of sergeant are all represented by the Fraternal Order of Police, um, who are currently in the process of continuing to engage in collective bargaining negotiations. So um, they have not reached impasse yet. Okay. You said yet. Is it anticipating that they will? that they will reach impasse or just highly likely? Well, um, traditionally, they have traditionally um, gone to interest arbitration um, for most of their collective bargaining agreements the last several rounds of negotiations. So I would anticipate that's a, a, a good likelihood um, in addition to the current climate that we're all in um, and the push for additional accountability and um, other changes in the police department that um, are not necessarily all that popular among, amongst um, uh, the 
police unions. So I, I think that um, obviously we've seen the mayor has been pushing for a lot for additional accountability. She was um, part of the uh, police board previously, and, and this is a high priority for uh, the mayor's office. So um, it's, it's it's hard to say for sure what will happen, but um, I would anticipate that, yes, there is a there's a good likelihood that uh, they may end up in interest arbitration at some point. And, and who makes that decision? Do you set a timeline when you begin negotiating that, hey, if we aren't, haven't reached a certain level by this date, then we'll do that? Or is it just when everyone throws up the white flag? It depends on the unit. Um, sometimes parties have a place that establish those time frames. Um, I, I don't uh, know for sure as, if the city has those types of ground rules in place. Um, so I can't necessarily speak to that. Okay. All right. Great. Well, why don't you tell us first what your involvement is with this uh, award and then kind of maybe walk us through um, what the city was looking for and what was actually awarded. Okay. Um, well, I was actually brought in to parties reached uh, interest arbitration. So I wasn't part of the team during the, the collective bargaining negotiations um, my partner, David Johnson, um, he was the spokesperson at the table for those. But once we reached interest arbitration, because there's a lot of additional work involved, it's, yeah. you know, thousands of exhibits, um, documents, pulling um, information about um, comparative uh, communities. Um, I was brought in to help with preparing for the interest arbitration piece. So some of the primary issues at interest arbitration were um, about uh, changes for some of the accountability provisions in the collective bargaining agreement, as well as some changes um, in retiree health insurance. Um, so what the city was asking for was they were asking that um, they be allowed to investigate um, anonymous complaints that are that come into the department um, or into COPA, which is the uh, Civilian Office of Police Accountability. So it's a civilian agency that's tasked with investigating um, some civilian complaints against uh, members of the police department. Um, and on, in the collective bargaining agreement, they were not allowed to investigate any anonymous complaints that, that would come in. So the city okay. proposed this time around to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to um, be able to investigate uh, anonymous complaints where there is some verifiable evidence um, to substantiate the complaint. Um, so the arbitrator did award the city the ability to investigate anonymous complaints. It also, um, under uh, Illinois law and in the collective bargaining agreement, um, uh, people who are filing a complaint against a police officer um, have to fill out an affidavit um, in order for the department to investigate that. So the police, uh, the, uh, the department was proposing to um, have kind of an override provision where there was a complaint that came in. You may know the identity of the complainant, um, but they're not comfortable signing a, uh, an affidavit for whatever reason. And the city was proposing to put in an override provision where the, um, the head of both the COPA and the Bureau of Internal Affairs could review the evidence, could review the complaint, could review to, to confirm that there was some sort of verifiable evidence um, to support the complaint and then override the need for an affidavit. Um, so the arbitrator did review um, both of those proposals and did grant the city's proposal there. 
um, they did all, he did all, also um, implement an, an ability for a police officer to appeal or a supervisor I should say uh, to appeal um, any overrides through uh, kind of a expedited type of arbitration procedure. Okay, before you move on, that is a yeah, mouthful, that's a lot. right? Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Wow, I can see why you were, they would need to bring on extra help and, and how long this would take. Um, let's, uh, that's, it sounds like an amazing win for the city. Um, let's back up a little bit and uh, maybe tell our listeners um, what COPA is and how, what their relationship is to the union and the city. If it's a civilian task force, is this something the city has authorized as sort of a third party to um, investigate? Or, or why don't you tell me what it is? Sure. So COPA um, was established um, through the, or after the city had the consent decree issued um, after a Department of Justice investigation following the Laquan McDonald incident and some other incidents previously. So um, the city's had a, an independent civilian review body um, for many years. So previously they had IPRA and then there was another agency before that. But COPA was established um, by the city, um, authorized mm-hmm. by the city. Um, it's all uh, non-sworn uh, civilian employees who um, there's when there's certain types of complaints, such as a police involved shooting. Um, there's a number of different ones under the municipal code. I can't rattle them all, all off off the top of my head, but they're the ones who are charged with um, doing an independent um, investigation to determine whether there was some um, inappropriate conduct or not. And they are appointed by the mayor or how did, how does one get on the task force? You know what? I, I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> it's not, it's not necessarily a task force. It's an independent agency. Okay. So I don't know. I, I I'm not sure. I think the head is appointed by the mayor, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. Um, but okay. otherwise employees are, are hired by the agency itself. Okay. Okay. And so this is something that the consent degree has, has come down and said, this is absolutely part of the process. This is how it's going to go. And after awarding this contract, these are the next steps that are, that we've put in place. Well, the consent decree was very specific in saying it did not override provisions of the collective bargaining agreement. It was recommendations for um, things that it thought should change. Um, and through that process and through a, a, a separate task force, the city was uh, evaluated um, their collective bargaining provisions as well as the um, independent um, uh, police agencies or the uh, investigative agencies, and then they established COPA. I don't know the exact process that went that they went through when they were evaluating and, and exactly how COPA came about, so I don't really want to talk about sure. that necessarily. Um, but yeah, the, so this was, um, the consent decree did recommend that, um, the city be allowed to investigate <clears throat> anonymous complaints and, um, some sort of way, um, to investigate complaints, even if, it, where there's verifiable evidence, even if there was, um, not necessarily an affidavit signed. Okay. And that's where, so, well, go ahead, Christina. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, so Melissa, if you could maybe expand on that a little bit, why was the desire to have something in place that allowed investigating anonymous complaints important to the city? Um, because there was a concern that um, civilians um, who ha had an, an interaction with the police officer that they felt was um, wrong, um, or if they observed something that uh, a police officer doing something to somebody else that they thought was wrong, um, that there was a fear um, about them coming forward if they knew that the officer um, was going to be notified of their name and, um, you know, they were going to be required to sign an affidavit. So there was there was concerns that um, civilians were fearful to report misconduct and the, that the city should be investigating. Okay. And I imagine from the, the side of the, um, the union, their concern was if you allow an complaints, um, you know, you sort of open the floodgates and how do we know if, if there is a credible issue versus just someone complaining because they're unhappy with um, an action that the police officer took against them, right? So um, from that aspect of it, I'm assuming that's where the having to have some sort of verifiable evidence came into place. Exactly. Okay. And, and any ideas as to what that verifiable evidence, what shape that may take? It will vary. Um, the arbitrator in, in the provision of the award where he laid out the um, arbitration or the appeal to arbitration for um, that type of verifiable evidence, um, he said, you know, it could be videos, it could be um, statements, it could be um, a, a number of different body-worn camera footage, um, those types of things. It'll vary um, based on each uh, situation, um, but whatever evidence there is available, um, the arbitrator, if, if the officer appeals it to arbitration, will evaluate that evidence. <clears throat> And does that evidence have to be provided by the complainant or is that something the city can seek out? For example, if there is a complaint of inappropriate behavior, um, can the city then go look at whatever video footage might be available from a nearby store or a nearby location um, before it launches an official investigation? Yeah, it, it, the city can uh, search out the evidence. It doesn't have to be provided by the complainant. Okay. Okay. Um, and then uh, the override procedure, that is um, if the, a citizen does not want to sign the affidavit, um, this gives the city the authority to go ahead and investigate, but it needs to be approved by the other two agencies, correct? Correct. The heads of the two agencies need to review and approve it. Okay. All right. So that's... Um, that's also, I, I know there was more in the con or in the award about discipline. Mm -hmm. Were you going to, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, another provision in the well, uh, practice, actually, um, that the parties had was um, whenever they're doing the interrogation of an officer who has um, been accused of misconduct and the investigation is, is being conducted, they always bring the officer in to do um, an interrogation. And traditionally... Um, whenever the officer and or their attorney or union representative wanted to take a break during um, the, the statement, uh, they, there would be no record of that in the transcript of the inter interrogation. Um, the city proposed now that a lot of the interrogations are done on camera to, to be able to note on the record whenever a break is had between 
um, an officer and their attorney or union representative. Um, so the arbitrator did award that. Um, they also, um, he also awarded the city the ability to use a disciplinary matrix, um, which basically kind of looks at, uh, it, the city had evaluated all types of misconduct and kind of came up with ranges of, uh-huh. uh, of the length of discipline or the types of discipline to be issued for certain ty- different types of misconduct. Um, and so the city had proposed being able to use that um, going forward. Um, the city had previously implemented it and the FOP and the supervisor's unit had filed an unfair labor practice charge and the city, uh, it was found the city had to negotiate that before it could use that. So it had to rescind the matrix previously. So in the interest arbitration award for the supervisors, it proposed being able to use the the disciplinary matrix and and that was um, awarded. Um, And that's just to make sure that uh, discipline is being issued uh, you know, for similar offenses. Similar Consistently. Similar, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, I, go ahead. I also uh, read in the award that um, the city is now able to retain records of discipline um, indefinitely. Um, can you speak to that? I had understood, and maybe I'm, I'm off on the dates, but I thought that after five years they were destroyed or that might be my own contract. Um. Yes, I don't recall the exact length of time um, they could be retained under the supervisor's unit. Um, But yeah, there was a provision in the collective bargaining agreement in the supervisor's uh, agreements where they could be, they'd be removed from their electronic file. The records of their discipline would be removed. Um, Exactly what that meant wasn't exactly clear by the parties, but given FOIA laws and everything, um, the city for all intents and purposes had to retain the, the disciplinary records. Um, and actually there was a case because the, the FOP unit, so the, the majority of the, um, the rank and file non-supervisor members of the police department, their collective bargaining agreement actually provided for destruction of um, materials after a certain period of time. I think five years sounds right, um, but don't quote me on, on the exact sure. time frame. Um, and that case, the... That case, there was actually a case that went to court and all the way up to the Illinois Supreme Court, uh, who ruled just this uh, last couple of months, that in fact, the city could not destroy any disciplinary records. So um, this award was consistent with what this Illinois Supreme Court had recently held in that the city does have to retain um, disciplinary records. Okay, interesting. And Melissa, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Melissa, did the arbitrator provide any context to his decision? Um, and in terms of that, was it solely based on the fact that there was the recent Illinois Supreme Court ruling, or was there any other additional information that led to their decision? No, uh, there was. Um, I, I think he also ruled because you know FOIA and and other um, other laws that are in place um, for all intents and purposes, it's really not possible for the city to destroy just. Dis- records but he did say that any not sustained complaints um for uh could not be used after a certain period of time um for for future disciplinary actions okay so the complaint in and of itself wouldn't be um a record that could be used It, it would have to have been substantiated after the investigation yeah okay 
Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. So I think that the final part of this award um, was the healthcare portion. And I know, the, especially um, with these changing times and municipalities looking at their revenues after sheltering in place for many months, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. healthcare is a consistent cost that's only going to be increasing in, in times of a global pandemic. Can you tell us about the healthcare portion of this award? Sure. Um, so had um had an agreement with and the, I put and um yeah so for retirees if they retired between the ages of 55 and 63 um they would have to pay well if they retired between the ages of 55 and 60 they would have to contribute um one and a half uh percent of their income um their retirement uh pay towards um uh the health insurance and um between the ages of 60 and 63, they wouldn't have to contribute anything. So if they retired between the ages of 55 and 60, then they would have to pay a small amount. Um, if they retired between 60 and, and until they were Medicare eligible, they would pay nothing. So that um, was costing the city a lot of money. Um, yes. The union had actually proposed um, that uh, people, they actually proposed expanding the, the early retirement program to um, retirees uh, at the age of 50 and the city said that you know that's that was going to be a huge increase that uh, was not affordable so and the city was proposing to increase the amount of uh, contribution that they would pay between the ages of 55 and then also implement a, a, um, a payment for those who retire between the ages of um, 60 and 63. Um, and so the arbitrator did award a one and a half percent increase for imp- those who retire between the ages of 55 and 60. So they'll, they'll now contribute three percent. Um, and then uh, those who uh, or excuse me, three and a half percent. And those who rep- retire between the ages of uh, 60 and 63 will now pay one and a half percent. Those who retire between ages 63 and 65, um, you know, when they become Medicare eligible, they will still pay nothing. Oh, okay. Wow. Interesting. That is a very, very um, rich benefit uh, for retirees. It is. Yeah. It is. Uh, So we uh, settled our, we have the MAPS uh, units where I work, and we included a healthcare provision this last round of collective bargaining. It wasn't a percentage of their pension. It was a percentage of the cost of the premium. So we included a provision in our contract that if, officers retire um, with X amount of years of service at X amount of age, X age, the city will pay 75% of the cost of the HMO plan. If they wanted to have a PPO plan, um, this is all before they become Medicare eligible, we would still take that cost and apply it to what they wanted to, which plan they wanted, but that was what we were offering. And it was generous. We did have a um, and at least one officer take advantage of it. And we anticipate that more will take advantage of it in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christina, do you have anything like that in your contract? Or um, I know I wasn't, I'm not aware of any other municipalities that have done this. I know previously we had healthcare um, costs in, in contracts and now we're mo- we moved away from it. Now we're moving back to that. Well, I think, right. So no, we don't with the um, ever increasing costs of, of health insurance. Um, you know, I think that's, it's a tough situation to um, 
have the municipality bear the burden of, of that cost ongoing. Um, but I certainly understand the need from a retiree perspective uh, because it is expensive to pay 100% of the insurance. I mean, obviously the Illinois provisions already allow for them to continue coverage past retirement uh, for as long as they choose to. Yeah. Um, but that their expense at 100%. And um, I can't speak for everybody, but I would be willing to guess that for most uh, most retirees and most communities in Illinois, um, you know, those family benefits can range from, you know, $1,500 to $2,000 a month easily uh, for premium. So it is an expensive, um, expensive cost. It's interesting, though, that the, the city of Chicago plan, um, it's a percentage of their their pension amount, which is not something that I've typically seen, Megan, most of the times I see it the way that you described it as a percentage of the premium mm -hmm. cost. So is there, I'm assuming that is just because that's the way it was initially written into the agreement that it was a percentage of the pension, but do you have any context as to why the city chose that route versus a percentage of the premium? Um, you know what, I, I don't because that was negotiated um, well before my time, unfortunately. Um, oh, right. But the city's insurance, I think um, the city and I think actually some of the counties um, do it this way where it's based on a percentage of income, even for active employees, um, mm -hmm. that they pay a certain percentage of the, their, their salary towards the insurance as opposed to um, percentage of the, the insurance itself. But yeah, I mean, most of the, municip the municipalities that I've dealt with, um, I agree that most of them are based on the amount of um, the, the percentage of the, towards the insurance of the insurance uh, premium. Right. Right. And Melissa, with the inclusion so, of this provision in the, in the award, does the city anticipate um, that there's going to be a spike in retirements? Or is that, that what we're trying to drive it to or? No. Well, initially, I think um, when the provision was initially negotiated a couple of contracts ago, I think that was um, one of the one of the interests that they were looking for was to kind of incentivize um, some early retirements. But um, at this point, no, the city was not looking to incentivize um, additional early retirements. Um, but the arbitrator did put a um, the there's a time frame for when this will be implemented. So officers who do wish to retire under the prior program um, can do so. Um, so I, I don't know the statistics as far as how many people have put in for their or the earlier retirement under the old plan versus um, those who are waiting. But no, the, the intent here was not to increase early retirements. Okay, thank so you. So Melissa, obviously this this again was a huge win for the city of Chicago in terms of all these accountability provisions and the, the health insurance provisions um, but for, for most of our listeners um, that are probably members mm -hmm. we're in communities throughout Illinois that are not the city of Chicago much smaller communities very different uh, police departments and sets of issues obviously that we all de deal with because communities are very unique in their own way mm -hmm. um, so I think there is a there is a desire to see some additional accountability from uh, police contracts across the nation. Mm -hmm. um, but do you think that this um, this contract is going to have a um, huge influence on potentially other contracts that get negotiated, or have you seen that with other other municipalities or other groups that you might be working with, where they're looking to have more accountability provisions built into the contract? Sure. Um, I think, well, within the city of Chicago, I certainly think that it's going to have significant in influence over whatever 
happens with the negotiations between the city and the fraternal order police. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as its um, influence over other communities um, throughout the state, I think there's a potential that it could um, have some some additional influence in future interest arbitration awards where uh, parties are making more accountability proposals, um, for example, being able to investigate anonymous complaints or, um, you know, something, being able to investigate um, verified verifiable uh, complaints without having to get an affidavit. I think those are some provisions that um, other police departments may be looking to implement and, and this award would certainly be influential influential um, there. Mm-hmm. Have you seen, um, I, I, without getting into the details obviously, but I imagine you're working with other communities. Um, are you seeing that more and more the either the the cities or the villages are requesting more accountability provisions in their contracts or it, alternatively that the union groups are seeking um, more protection under the contract for their officers um you know i've i haven't had too many other negotiations currently most of my contracts are still active um for another couple of years so i haven't had too many other negotiations with other uh, villages and municipalities but i don't know christina Maybe you can comment um, as far as what you've seen in your negotiations. Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, I definitely think it's going to be a topic. I know um, it's it's a top of mind for a lot of organizations and for I think a lot of police officers that are feeling um, the effects of what's going on right now. So maybe this is a a, a segue to a future podcast. Maybe we need mm-hmm. to follow up and see how things progress over time. Megan, how about you? I agree. I, I know I, I give this spiel at the end of every show that says, if our listeners have something to say, <laughs> we're listening. And I think this would be a great opportunity to have uh, some of our uh, member communities call in and tell us what's happening in, in your contracts. What are you? What is your organization looking to put in future contracts and what are your officers seeking um, for their future contracts as well? I want to thank you, Melissa, for joining us today. And if any of our listeners want to find out more about this or or get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? Um, Well, they can go to our website, ForensicPC, or Forensic.com, excuse me, um, or they can uh, reach out to me personally on my email at mds at Forensic, F-R-A-N-C-Z-E-K.com. Okay, great. And I will put that in the text of our podcast so everyone can, anyone interested in getting a hold of you can shoot you an email that way. Great. And again, listeners, if there's something you want to say, please let us know. You can send us a recorded voice message we can play on the show. Or um, if you have something exciting that's happening in your collective bargaining process or something that you want to talk about, we can have you join us on a future podcast. Stay connected with us through the website, www.ipelra.org. And of course, on Twitter, at I-P-E-L-R-A. Support IPELRA by becoming a member. We are dedicated to providing training and resources to HR and labor professionals in local government. Join us next time with Mark Slavin when we discuss qualified immunity. I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. And this has been Real Time with IPELRA. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.